Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey. So we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin, and how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. How are you today? And I was thinking we should do some introductions about who we are because we're getting new listeners and maybe not everybody knows who Dan and Bernie are who haven't been following the podcast for the past many years, right? That's a great idea. Yeah. I'm Dan, and uh, this is a very new point in my life. I'm recording from a new studio, and uh, I just moved, so everything is new. And where do you live? I live in Stockholm, Sweden, and uh, I have been a professional podcaster but not a professional English speaker, since 2015. And I currently do nine podcasts working on the 10th, but this is the oldest, and this is my favorite. Amazing. Because we get to talk about history. Yay. And I am Bernie, and I have been with this podcast since when, 2018? Whoa. I believe, and this is my only podcast I do with Dan, and I am in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I am not a professional podcaster. I am an amateur podcaster. We talk about history. We've been counting back. Well, Dan started it, counting forward, right? The decades starting from 1000 BC. And today we are in 570s BC. Yes, and there are plenty of episodes covering all those decades. Yeah. But now I fear that this, if it doesn't become the Cyrus podcast, it will become the podcast about the Greeks. Yeah, it will be the podcast a lot about the Greeks. Especially after Cyrus dies. Especially. However, since it's been taking me four years, but I've gotten a lot better at China. So there's a lot going on in China, so we will have Greece and China at least. And we'll also try to look at the less well-documented parts of the world. Right. Like India and uh, the Americas. Correct. The problem with but it's it, hard. Exactly, because the, the, the format by date, by decade... In the Indias, in India and the Americas, it's hard to pinpoint a date within 10 years. So sometimes we have to wait a couple of decades and then kind of catch up. But that's how the podcast goes. And we're, you know, like we say, we're counting forward 10 years at a time. So we tend to be biased towards areas where they have written records. Yes. Because that really helps us. Yes, it definitely does. Until we invent that time machine and go back in time. We're going to have to go by that. Even if those written records are Assyrian lies. <laughs> but now the Assyrians are gone. Yeah. And their role is taken by the Babylonians. It has. It has been. But not today. Not today. Today we're in Greece, right? Yes. Those uh, Greeks traveling everywhere, everywhere. Doing everything. Everything. Thinking a lot. They are thinking a lot. That's a, good, that's a good point. The Greeks have been ramping up, I feel, since the past couple hundred years. And this, this century, it's like really getting getting going and by the 500s 
then it's like you said, it could be the Greek podcast because there's a lot. And the Greeks are so funny because it's not like the Greeks. You know, I've war like a lot of people probably know about the Persian Wars, but during the per you know versus the Greeks, the Persians. But during that time, some of the Greeks fought for the Persians, so they're not a you know one empire of the Greeks. Maybe that's why they have to think so much. Probably. It's probably why. So before we get going on the Greece, can I just read a quick, um, I just got it this morning. Uh, I got a message on our Facebook page from a fan, and I love to hear from the fans. Go right ahead. And this is from uh, Joshua Coleman, and he commented on a link. On the Facebook page, I share links of different things, and there was an olive tree in the Negev Desert, that's near Israel, that's 1,500 years old. He said, huge fan, love the podcast. Have you ever heard of the Great Basin Bristlecone Pine? They can live for thousands of years. One tree in California named Methuselah is 4,854 years old. That's older than the Egyptian pyramids. The tree's location is kept secret for safety reasons, and I mention it because the Bristlecone line is native to my home state. So when you guys talk about the Americas in your next podcast, Methuselah is there. How about that? Oh, Interesting. Yeah. He's, that Methuselah's even older than Methuselah. Like, literally, years-wise, and since Methuselah's probably not that, it wasn't around then, if he ever was. We also claim the oldest tree in the world. In, in Sweden? Sweden. Uh-huh. Well, this might actually be Finnish, but it's somewhere here in Scandinavia. Really? Yes. Uh, there is a, what do you call it in English? What's the name of the Christmas tree? Uh, we pine tree? Christmas tree. Oh, pine tree. Yeah, pine tree. Yeah. There's a pine tree that is 9,550 years old. Get the hell out of here. It's called Old Chico. Old Chico? Yes, it's very high up on a mountainside. And uh, it has cloned itself several times. So it's the same individual. Okay. And uh, it has survived all kind of weather. Is it really tall? No, it's actually, it actually looks pretty... It, it's in a bad shape. Oh, <laughs> but it uh, because it's on a mountain, so okay. there's not so too much nutrition and stuff. But it it does live. Wow, life is amazing. Somebody dated it to nine thousand five hundred sixty-five years. Wow, seven thousand five hundred BC. That was around the time when one of my favorite topics, Katahoyak, was uh, sort of started. That's uh, in Turkey. <laughs> so we are in the five seventies. And funny to say, 570 is my area code where I live for my phone. So, No coincidence there. No, not at all. No. I'm just asking questions. So <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, in our last episode on Greece, as, as, as par for the course, we talked about Neanderthals. <laughs> but uh, we were on a tangent. And then, then we did talk about the Olympics. And we talked about Thales. And then Dan introduced us to the world's largest sucking machine in his apartment. Oh, yeah. I'm free from that now yeah, as I yeah. moved. It's, I, it feels so good. There's no sucking machine on the street. <laughs> it's safe again. <laughs> so, yeah. So, if you want to know about that, you got to check out our last episode on Greece. But, um, but with Thales, we have the first known Greeks that was trying to do science. So, and even Dan mentioned that. Now, the Greeks are trying to do real science. So, here in the 500s, in these centuries... You know, like I said, they're really starting to ramp up, you know, the stuff we know about Greeks. Like Athens, is democracy is forming now in the 500s. And then the 400s, it gets really interesting a while for the Greeks, like we said. Oh, yes. Yeah, there, there'll be a lot in the 400s. Yeah, lots. So we'll need to become Patreon so I can hire, you know, some, some researchers. There's some drama going on in Athens regarding the laws of Solon. If you remember, Solon was the guy that before that we had Draco. And he would, you would be executed for stealing a cabbage. And Solon changed those rules. And the problem was that they had these, the rich people had these debt traps set for the average people. And then they would lose their land. And then they would sell them into slavery. Then they would, you know, they have, people don't like that. So the Solon came along and he changed those rules. And then he went away. Because when you made a rule like that, you, you, as long, when you were in charge, it took, you had to be the one to change it, like for 10 years or something. So he went away for 10 years and they were stuck. So there was all kind of things going on. And so the poor, they did get a small taste of power. And they, like, they did stop being sold into slavery. But they still didn't have a lot of power. They had very, very little power. 
basically there was one legislative body that was available to all citizens. But that was not very powerful because there was this other body called the Boule, and that chooses the topic of discussion for that other body. And that was made up of 400 of the top three classes, 400 people. So you had to be, you know, a rich person to be in that group. So then, you know, if you wanted to talk about something important in this lower body, it had to go through this upper body. And if they didn't want to talk about it, then you didn't get to debate it. And then there was another um, the uh, court, the most senior court in the area, was still the most powerful institution, and that was only controlled by the wealthy, wealthy. So there's some drama going on. And in the 560s, that's when it'll come to a head, and it's a real. there'll be another real important character coming up in the 560s. So we'll give you a little prelude to that. And he's going to be involved in what's happening with the Mycenaeans. They have been um, unofficially blockading Athens, and they're interfering with their food deliveries. And the reason Athens needed food deliveries is because during the last previous um, decades, a lot of the farmers have been switching over to olive production. And I think that means the farmers being like, because the rich people had taken over all the small farms, they were there turning them into olive groves for money, you know, a cash crop. But now there's hunger. So, But they had to bring in food. But now that there's a blockade, there's hunger. So that's happening in Athens now. And that's, like I say, a prelude to the 560s. So where are the Messenians geographically? They're to the left, which would be to the west. Okay, that's why they fought the Spartans before. Yeah, I hope I'm right. <laughs> so do I. Pretty sure. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We're not, you know, we have to, um, anyway, I think you have something now for us on Greece. Is that correct? You mean the temple to Athena Polias? I do. Yeah, they, they build a temple to Athena Polias in the uh, Doric limestone building. Many oh. relics survive from it, and it's called the Hecatompidon. <laughs> That means 100-footed. Okay. And uh, maybe even the Ur Path- Parthenon, uh-huh. like the original Parthenons. This is the first big temple. Okay. But but not the one uh, you think of as the Parthenon. Oh, okay. It's not that one. No. Uh, so we don't know if this replaced an earlier temple or not. Okay. It's an important temple in Athens. It's not standing now, though, right? No, because it was located at exactly the same spot as the Parthenon. I gotcha. So they built a new one on top of that one. Yes. All and right. then the British Museum came and stole it. <laughs> He did. I know. I've been reading a lot more and more about those things. It's something else. And they have a great, great Parthenon room in the British Museum. You know, they say like, oh, well, you know, we need to, the West needs to take these things. Look what's happened in Iraq and all these places and they could be destroyed and et cetera. But then I sometimes I wonder like someday what if there's a humongous war with all the wealth in the West and every single thing they stole is, you know, destroyed. And then that'll be like, see, that didn't work out. Yep. So... We have another colony. If you're new to the podcast, every time we have a colony in Greece, we try to, you know, talk about it a little bit. 
and it, it'll give you a sense of how many Greek colonies there are. It's so many. And we did a, a, a whole episode covering the phenomenon as such, like the process of establishing a Greek colony. Yes, you did. And I think there's a, on the YouTube channel too. Yes. So the Greeks are moving into colonies are in the, these ones, well, right now that we're talking about in the Mediterranean, because the Greeks also colonized to the east when they went around the Black Sea. But today we have a new colony in the Mediterranean, which is to the west. And um, they're rubbing up against the Carthaginians, who are Phoenicians. And the Greeks are kind of like in the south, which is funny because Carthage is in the south. This is on Sicily, right? No, I'm wrong because the oh. Carthage is, yeah, the yellows are the Greeks, right. It's, yeah, around Sicily, but around the whole Mediterranean. There's Greeks in Africa, too, because if you remember, we had Cyrene, which was a Greek area, yes. which becomes bigger and bigger. So the Greeks are there, and the Greeks recently founded a colony around 600, and they found a Marseille, which is in southern France today. And that was a big, that was like the shot that started the friction between the Carthaginians and the Greeks here in this part of the world because now they were really getting involved in their in their business and Sicily. So you're going to see the Greeks and the Carthaginians fighting over Sicily for a long time. That's going to be in the 400s a lot too, but we're going to have some war in the 500s as well with the Greeks and the Carthaginians, but we don't have any today. But we do have is this new colony founded around 579 it's in Sicily, and it's called Akragas. 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 And this is interesting to me, especially because it was the colony was founded by Gela, which is another colony in Sicily. And I remember Gela because that was my first episode in the 680s that Gela was founded in Sicily. So it's a colony founded by colony. Yeah, so now we're starting to see colonies founded by colonies. Exactly. So Greeks are like locusts. They are. They're, they're like, I just watched The Matrix. Human beings are like a virus. <laughs> um, so this one's not far. This one is only about 74 kilometers away from Gela. So if you were to drive there today, it's an hour and six minutes, which is still only like 15 hours by foot. So this wasn't like a major, you know, pack up and move. It's a good day's walk. Yeah, good day's walk from Gela. Although they're, according to Thucydides, they um, were, it was also founded by some colonists from Crete and Rhodes, which just seems like always Crete and Rhodes are just Crete is big, but Rhodes is small. I could see why everybody's leaving Rhodes, but Crete, I don't know. They're always leaving Crete and Rhodes, go to found colonies. Oh, they have been in Crete for a long time, so yeah, maybe it's full at this point. Maybe it's getting full. So um, th- this city uh, was founded on a plateau was overlooking the sea. There's two nearby rivers, the Hypsus and the Akragas, which is why it was named that. And there's, it's got some, uh, you know, it's strategic, or I should say, you could be defended. It's got a ridge, which offers a degree of natural fortification. And that, that links to a hill up in the north, and then another hill in the east. So it's, it's easy to defend. But there's a cool thing about this place. There's a, so, so let's say it was founded around 579. And it expanded and expanded over the, so it's, there's like stories that, you know, this one guy who became a tyrant, his name is Phalaris. So they kind of say like he even took over all of Sicily and, you know, militarily conquered all this area. But archaeology shows that it's more kind of like even what happened in the Americas with the European settlers. You know, these people became influenced by the Greeks. They became more Greek and the Greeks used some of them for slaves. And, you know, they just expanded the territory sort of organically. But this guy... This guy named Phalaris. Have you heard about this? Have you heard about the brazen bull? Probably did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this I is have. the guy. <laughs> oh, wow, I thought it was a pharaoh. No, this is a, it was a Greek tyrant from Sicily. And he, um, yeah, he was a tyrant, you know, and supposedly like the, what you would consider like today how we call a tyrant, you know, like just a horrible person and killing people and all this kind of stuff. So the story about the brazen bull is that it's a, a torture device. So there's this guy named Perry Laos, and he was the inventor of this thing called the brazen bull. And how, how it works is that you put a person inside of it and you light a fire underneath it. It's bronze, right? 
and you light a fire underneath it, and their pipes are in it in such a way that when you're screaming in horror, it sounds like makes the sound like a bull. <laughs> so we we covered this in uh, my Swedish murder podcast, Murderpodden. We did an episode about uh, torture devices, and uh, we talked about this. Do you want to tell the story? Uh, no, you can do it. So from what I, I remember it too, and I just looked it up again. And luck, luckily I found it right before we did this because I was seeing it and I was like, is that the break, the guy who did this thing? So anyway, the story goes is this um, – the guy who invented it, Perry Laos, he must have been – he reminds me of like the guy on The Princess Bride, you know, where he invented the machine and he's like real creepy because he's like, oh, it'll be beautiful when somebody – you'll hear their screams and to the sound of a, you know, of the of a – of a bull it's amazing right so even the Phalaris who was supposedly a cruel tyrant and he supposedly kept the bull to use it anyway he was still disgusted by it so he told the guy he told him to go into it and let's you know just he tricked him into going into it and then he quick locked him in and set on fire and burned him in it and tried the the device see if it worked worked. yeah I guess but (laughs) then he opened but apparently the story goes then he opened it up and then he had him thrown off a cliff. <laughs> so, oh boy. That should uh, destroy his chances of having other inventors work for him. I would think so. I would think so. This this bull was supposedly around, though, so somehow it ended up and it ended back up. And, and, and then after that, after it ended up in Carthage, then the Romans, after they destroyed Carthage in like 149 BC, they, they, took, it, they took it back. So this thing has been around. You know, this is the 500s, and this thing was around for hundreds of years, moving its way around the ancient world. So it was always a story. Uh, even the Roman Emperor Hadrian got hold of it and uh, roasted some Christians in it. Come on! Oh, my God. According to legend. Wow. You wonder whatever happened to it at the end. It must have been copied as well. Phew, nasty. People are crazy. Anyway, that's the Brazen Bull, and that's a new colony in Sicily founded by the Greeks. And the Carthaginians become a little more pissed at the Greeks. Yeah, a little more. We have another thing in Greece. What's that? The Nemean Games were founded. The traditional date is 573 BC. Huh. And it's, uh, so Nemea is a small town. It's in the Peloponnese in southern Greece. And they, they made this new, they wanted new games. There's a lot of games in Greece. We talk about the Olympics every time we do Greece. But there's other games. There's the Nemean Games. There's another set of games. I forget what they are called. We talked about them. They were founded and just... Pythian Games? Is Isthmian Games? Yep. It's sort of like, you know, the Greeks were really into this, these sports and, and they, they these festivals. And it must have been a big money-making thing. And it was when they communicated. And it's just so neat how the Greeks were not... They're all individual. It's kind of like Europe or something, you know? It's like, well, we're not really... We could fight each other and everything, but we're still sort of culturally similar. The same, and so you're saying that the main games are like Eurovision, or like yeah, exactly. With, they're just like that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a story about Nemea. All right, I've written some fancy novels, uh, most of them in a world designed by a role-playing game company. So several people have written novels in that world. Okay, but then I wrote uh, actually over a period of fifteen years a novel set in a world of my own, and. Having no knowledge of the location Nemea, I named the whole novel Nemea. Of course, uh, the the main character is called Nemea. Okay. And I didn't know Uh, about this uh, place when I wrote it. And then somebody gave me a wine that was called Nemea. I was like, why is there a wine that has the same name as my main (laughs) character? And then I discovered the Nemean lion, the the town. Yes. (laughs) All of it. Why did you name it Nemea? Just said it. Just the name sounded interesting. Yes, I just came up with the name. Amazing. Maybe I saw it somewhere. Probably in the story about the Nemean lion. Yeah, do you remember that one? Where it's yeah, Heracles defeats the Nemean right. lion, and then he founds this game. Then he founds the games. That's by legend, but we know he didn't because we know there was no Hercules or Heracles in 573 BC. He's much older than that. <laughs> yes, if he is correct in any amount, really correct. So yeah, so the legend is that Hercules he killed the Nemean lion, and then he wore his skin. You know that was his cloak forever after that. And then we we did cover that before. Um, so, but the Nemean games were they were dedicated to Zeus, as like just like the Olympian games. 
but they were also, you know, Hercules was a part of the deal. And it had the, the classic Olympic sports. They had the gymnic part, which they call it, and those were competed in the nude. You had the stadium, which we always have in the Olympics. And they could be different at each place. So at Nemea, it was 178 meters. Um, you have the dialos. It's just how far the arena happens to be. Probably is, exactly. I wonder how they measured things in those days, too. They, might, they probably had some way to do it accurately. I'm sure they did. Not a regular tape measure, but they had something. They had the dialos. That's the stadium back and forth, basically. So that's 355 meters. You had the hippios, which is the twice the dialos. Do that, so that's 710 meters. There's a long-distance race. We're not sure. That could have been 710, 20, or 24 times around the stadium. But this one's a cool one. The hop, we talked about this one too. You remember this? The hop lightodromos. That is the dialos, so that's a stadium back and forth. But they they wear the bronze helmets. They wear an abscess, and they used to wear greaves too. Okay, so you dress like a hoplite and run. Correct. Uh. And you have to run in the heat. That's a crazy. We we did talk about that once in the Olympics. I know we talked about it once. They should have had uh, spears as well, right? They should have, but maybe they did. Maybe they would stab each other. You know how they were. They were a little brutal. <laughs> maybe they were accidents. Yeah. Did I say this in another episode or did I think it one night? I think I just thought it. I, I, I don't remember I, it. I wrote this down, though. This aside a little bit. But I was like, yeah, I just wrote this down while I was watching something about the Persians. And, you know, like the Persians are anybody. You try to attack the Greeks, right? And you're like, ah, oh, these Greeks, they fight each other. The Greeks, they, this is like a culture that spends their time like running in armor like having these, like the next thing here we have is the picks, which is a boxing-like context, and they and to protect themselves and do more damage. They, now they wrap their hands and wrists with leather strips, and then the pancration, which is like basically just fight each other almost death, and you know, and the, so these Greeks are like constantly like practicing for war and all these other things, and then you try to invade that place. Good luck to you. Did I talk about my pancration teacher? You did, the one who jumped on your legs? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dan, if you didn't hear that one, Dan was in a set in a cross leg position and the guy told him to stretch and so he jumped on his legs. <laughs> so I would remember it forever. Wasn't he a Greek too? Oh yes, he was a Greek uh, champion of pancreation. Yeah. They also, in this they had the palais, which is like wrestling from an upright position and you had to throw your opponent to the ground three times. And then the pentathlon, which is, uh, it's like, um, it's a bunch of different events. The stadium, you have a wrestling match, javelin throwing, discus throwing, and a long jump. So they had those. Interesting that these are not uh, independent sports. I know. So there's no, no competition in javelin throwing. You only do it in a pentathlon. I think it's because, too, they only like, you know, like the Olympics go on and on sometimes for a week and people get bored. These events were only a couple of days. Yeah. So I guess... That's just how they did it. I mean, you had to walk to these things, too. These are big. Someday we should do a thing on the Olympics. I mean, there I had a great book on it, and then I was reading it, and I think in the pool or something, and it fell in. It's ruined. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, they used to have to walk, take months to get to these things. It's a big event, especially the Olympics, you know, the uh, at, at, at Olympia. But the people would come to these, and, then, you know, there was prizes. You, you could win, like, a gold nothing. <laughs> you could win, like, well— you know what you won at the Nemean Games? You won wild celery leaves. What? <laughs> yeah, wild celery. Like, you know, Olympia got olive branches, so at Nemea you got, like, these wild celery leaves. But so much honor. Yeah. So that's what it is, honor. It's like a trophy. What do you get for a trophy? Then they had horse, they had equestrian things like they do in the um, in the Olympics. They had uh, chariot racing, which is the tetrippin. That's four horses. They race for like 5.25 miles. They had the Sonoris. That's two horses. They go three and a half miles. And do you remember this one? The Kellis. That's when you ride right on the horse. And that's a 4,200 meters or two and a half mile race. Remember the Kellis? No, actually, I don't. Well, that was also a sexual position. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we I we see. know that's the, um, you know, you just use your imagination when it comes to riding. But we also had another position that we never figured out, if anyone ever could figure out. That was called the lion on the cheese grater. So we don't know what that one is. <laughs> Still working on that one. <laughs> <laughs> We're working on that one. So many different competitions at the New Games. Yeah, for sure. 
I think they had those at the Olympics, too. We just never know the winners every time. Ah, or when they were introduced. Yeah. Oh, and these races, I, did I say it? These ones came the year after the Olympics. So they're also every four years. But they came, oh. they were like the year after the Olympics. And they, those other ones you talked about, I forget already, the Pythian Games, they were the year before the regular Olympics. Mm. Well, that's how that works. So it looks like there's room for four big games. Yeah. And some There was minor ones. games all over the Greek world. I mean, read that book on the Olympics was really great. I think it's called like Naked Olympics or something. They, uh, they, these games were held all over. All over Greece, the Greek world. And the Greek world is getting bigger and bigger, you know? Like we're seeing, we, you know, we have a, a new colony in Sicily, and if you were from there, you could come. Maybe they will have the Akragan Games. What are those? In some years. Oh, in Akragas, in the new colony. Oh. I don't know. Maybe they will have them. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. So interestingly that they brought these back, you know, in modern days, in 1994. That's interesting. Yeah. They did like, ton, after 20 years of archaeological digs and excavating stuff here in the Mia, they, they did a reenactment. And it's every four years since 1996. In 2008, 600 people wearing tunics raced barefoot in the ruins on June 21st. And there was runners aged 10 to 80 years old. Wow. They did also the, uh, the seven and a half kilometers they did a race for that one. and But then the real interesting, I guess, must have been in the news and everything back then, was they did the Hoplader Dramos race. So they were dressed like hoplites and they and they did the run. Wow. Yeah. The last one was... No real competition to the Olympics here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they did that in 2020, but they that was the last... Well, they did it in 2016. So maybe it's coming up in 2024 because it looks like they didn't do it in 2020, cause, probably because of COVID. Yeah. So that's the Nemean Games, man. So uh, what about this uh, nice AI work here in the script? Are you going to tell my secrets? I didn't, what, well, just so <laughs> you know, everybody, I didn't read it as it said, but man, it is amazing. I, 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 you know, I learned about it and then I have to write this. So I did gave the chat GPT a little try here and I said, write me a podcast segment on the Nemean Games and it did pretty good, didn't it? Yeah, let's try this. Oh, you want to do it from there? I think we're kind of re-repeating what I said, but let's, you know. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. So thanks to ChatGPT. Who's the host and who's the co-host? You're the host. All right. Well, welcome back to Time Travels. This is a, we could have called the fan of history, where podcasts where we dive deep into the riveting tales and lesser known stories from history. I'm your host, Bernie Mayapolsky, and today we're journeying back to ancient Greek, time of gods, heroes, and athletes. We're going to explore a festival that might not be well known as the Olympic Games, but was no less significant than the Nemean Games. How about sound effect? Time traveling. (laughs) (laughs) Portal opening. (laughs) Picture this, folks. We're in the beautiful sanctuary of Zeus at Nemea, a small town located in the Peloponnese in southern Greece. It's the year 573. And we're witnessing the inauguration of the Nemean Games. But the history of these games goes back even further, rooted in Greek mythology. Ah, the irresistible allure of Greek mythology. So, who is our mythological star today? Today, we're talking about the mighty Hercules. Or, Heracles, where the Greeks call them, and Hercules, as the Romans call them. The Nemean Games were, in part, a celebration of Heracles' first labor where he was tasked to slay the Nemean lion, a beast whose skin was impervious to mortal weapons. Using his wit and sheer strength, Heracles strangled the beast, making its pelt his iconic cloak. That's quite a tale. But the games weren't just about Heracles, were they? That's correct. The Nemean games were also a religious festival dedicated to Zeus, king of the gods. Athletes from all over the Greek world would come to compete in events similar to those in the Olympic Games, including foot races, wrestling, boxing, and the pancratium. Brutal contests combining wrestling and boxing. Good work, ChatGPT. Yeah. Maybe you should just let it write all the script. You know, honestly, after I read that, it didn't sound too bad, but it's not our natural thing. And, you know, we got a comment where no. we were said called two douchebags just reading back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> reading back and forth each other, so I don't know. 
<laughs> no, maybe not. I don't know, but man, it's I, I actually have the Chat GPT four. I paid for it, and it's pretty cool. I've also been playing with the Doll E and making crazy, crazy images. If you go to our Facebook page, you'll notice I, I had a picture from our episode in China on the Battle of the Squirrel, and I made a squirrel wearing armor, and I put that as a picture. <laughs> We uh, tried uh, getting ChatGPT to write a script about Ed Gein for a murder podcast as an experiment. And then ChatGPT started writing about Ed Gein's childhood. And then it just stopped and said, this is not a good subject for a podcast. This is disgusting. <laughs> so it refused to proceed. That's crazy. Well, I read an article where they paid all these, like 30 or 40 people from like somewhere in Africa because, you know, the currency's cheaper and some company from San Francisco paid these people out and in, in somewhere in Africa to like, to go through all kinds of things that people would like ask questions of. And it was so disgusting yeah. that people would ask that these people had need therapy. Like you have to say like, don't put this in, don't allow this. And I guess it was so bad. The, all these people needed serious therapy, the stuff they're reading. Wow. Amazing. Okay, let's do more sports. The really big games. Real games. Yeah. That was not those, those you know. <laughs> Copycat games. Yeah, those are like the double, you know, what they call like in the... The minor leagues. These are the majors here. Yeah, where they stole the title from my novel. <laughs> Bastards. 576, we have the stadium. The stadium was the most, like, that was, it's funny to say, but the stadium was the one. If you won the stadium, you were the biggest champion of everything. And that was, or, you know, you say his name. Eratosthenes? Yeah, I'd say. Eratosthenes. Yeah, either one will work. And he's from Croton. That's 576. That's all we have. So then 572, we've got the stadiums won by this guy named Aegis, and he's from Ellis. 572, we have the boxing champion is Tisandros. He was from Naxos in Sicily. So see, they come all the way from there. Yeah. Pancration is, his name is, you could say his. Arikion. Yeah. And where's he from? Figalea. <laughs> Figalea. <laughs> Wherever that is. And we have one more. And then we're going to talk about this guy. Who's was this going to segue us into them. And that's the, tet, that's the Tetrippon. And that was this guy named Callisthenes. And he's from Sicyon. Yeah. Now, this guy, Callisthenes, we've actually kind of talked about him before. He's the tyrant. Yeah, he's a tyrant. So now the thing is with the horse race, he may not have actually been the jockey, perk, so to say. He has paid for the chariot and the horse. He owns the horses and everything, right? That's how that works. Sort of like the... Because he, he's kind of old at this time, right? He has been ruling for 28 years. Probably. I forget. I did see when he dies. He's supposed to be around for a while. He, he's an important person, actually. And he's got important scions. His, his, um, he is the ancestor of some super important people. Super important in Greece. Oh. Want to hear about it? Yes. This was not written by ChatGPT, by the way. <laughs> Good. So you'll have to deal with me stammering and stuttering through it. But yeah, Callisthenes, he was the tyrant of Sicyon. That's in Greece. It's not in like Syracuse or anything like that. And he was the one who aided that first sacred war against Kira that destroyed that city in 595. That was hmm. in episode 156. And that was of ours. And that was the city that got the diarrhea from the, they poisoned the wells and stuff. They poisoned the drinking water. Oh. Um, so he's also, so he also organized a successful war against Argos because he didn't like Dorians. And after this victory, he abolished all the rhapsodes of Homer because they praised the citizens of Argos. He's in Herodotus. So there's, you know, some of that Herodotus stuff in there. But. One of his biggest um, reforms was he re he reformed the tribal system in his city, and he says he gave the name a new name to the four tribes. He called his tribe rulers of the people. I mean, this is the English translation, obviously, right? Yeah. But the other three tribes he named the Swineites, the Assites, and the Porkites. <laughs> like uh, swine men, <laughs> ass men, and pork men, <laughs> and. He doesn't say, like, what else the reform was except for that. 
but these tribes, for whatever reason, according to Herodotus, kept the same names for 60 more years after, you know, his death. It sounds like like if Trump came in and told it. We're calling all the Democrats asses now. <laughs> it's like crazy. <laughs> There's another really sort of famous story and fun, good, interesting story that Herodotus tells about this guy. So cause he, he arranged a marriage to his beautiful daughter, Agariste. And he had two main competitors. And the story goes, he kept these people with them for like a year. And these suitors came from all over, right? And there was a couple guys that were sort of in the... And the, and then the running. Hippocrates was the one guy, and there's this other guy, Megacles. And they had it was like after a year, and they were having their this dinner and you know, drinking and all this business. Hippocrates, you say that. Hippocrates. Yeah. So that guy, he made a fool of himself because he said when the music started playing, he was drunk and he started dancing, right? Dancing weird. <laughs> I guess he was a bad dancer. And then they, the next song came out, he's dancing even weirder. And then he said, and his, you know, father-in-law-to-be is looking at him like, what a weirdo. And then he, so, then he called a table over. He said, bring in a table. And he started dancing on the table like a nut. And then he, like, laid on his back and spread his legs out and just act like a complete lunatic. He did not get the prize of the girl. His to-be-possibly-father-in-law said, no, no way. But I was going to tell you about his descendants. These two get married, right? Megacles and his daughter. And they had a son who was also named Leosthenes. And he becomes very important in Athens. Oh, yeah. He'll be born soon, but he's a very important... He's like... I didn't really know about this guy until I started reading, but you got like Solon. You got like the next guy that we're going to have in the 60s. And then this guy. These three people are super important to the foundation of democracy in Athens. They sure are. Yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. But then how about this? His, so his great-granddaughter is the mother of Pericles in Athens. And he will be quite important as well. Exactly. So, yeah, this guy has, a, you know, and, he's a, and he had some horses that he could race, so... He died around 532, though, this guy. So we'll try to remember that in the 530s. The first Gleisenist, the Gleisenist, the tyrant of Sicyon, doesn't he die earlier? It says he died at 532. Oh, yeah, but he stops being the tyrant earlier than that. Maybe he was very old. Yes, because uh, something will happen to Sicyon in uh, the 550s, and I'll come back to that in the 550s. I'll remember. Yes, I already entered it in the script. Perfect. Yes, and it has to do with Sparta. You love Sparta, don't you? <laughs> yes. And uh, remember, the Clastinus didn't like the Dorians. Yeah. The Spartans don't like Argos, but Argos are Dorians, and so are the Spartans. Uh-huh. So being um, a racist to Dorians is, could be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing a lot of times we don't people don't realize about what's going on in ancient Greece is this Ionian, Dorian, Achaean, um, you know, tension. Yes. You could maybe look at like British, Greeks, and British, French, and, you know, Germans. You know, they're kind of Europeans, but they're kind of always at each, after each other. Yep. That's my story about him. He'll be back. <laughs> like the Terminator. So I just have a couple other things here on Greece. This is kind of cool, though. I like it. This It's called the Francois vase. The Francois vase. So they say it was, it was from around 570, which is the kind of thing, that, you know, they didn't say it was made in 572. You know, we don't know. They figure it's about from that time. But it's interesting. I'll tell you about it. It's a masterpiece of black figure pottery. And it's actually one of the most famous and studied works of ancient Greek ceramics. And it was a, created by these two outstanding artists. And one is, you could say, those guys. Argotimus and uh, Kietas. Right. 
One was the, the first one was the potter and the other one was the painter. And it, it's not just like an ordinary vase. It's a storytelling canvas. It's 66 centimeters tall, which what's that about? An inch is about maybe like three feet tall. Is that right? It's quite big. Okay, yeah. And it's got 200 individual figures, and each is precisely labeled. And it's helped everyone enormously in understanding ancient Greek mythology and customs. Because there's all these little pictures and then their description, like Hercules killing the lion. You know, like a horse race, tequila, like all these things, 200 different things are on there. And then they tell you what they are. Wow. So then if you see this on another vase, you know what it is. Amazing. Right. It's like, a, you know, you could say it's sort of like a Rosetta Stone of Greek vases. Yeah. Yeah. Key to Greek Greek mythology. Right. So now let's visualize this vase. It's a volute crater. It has looping handles on either side that culminate in a swirl design at the top, like a pair of ram's horns. And the body is divided into five friezes or bands. Each tells a separate chapter in the story. From the top to the bottom, we see scenes of mythological tales of Theseus, Jason, the Caledonian boar hunt, Peleus and Thetis, and the return of Hephaestus. I can't pronounce his name, but I know he is the god of fire. The Hephaestus. You say it. Uh, I have to see it in writing. Right there. Hephaestus. Hephaestus. Anyway, sorry about that. The vase's name comes from this guy, Alexandre Francois. He discovered it, actually discovered it in an Etruscan tomb in Italy in 1844. How about that? Mm. Well, we know it's Greek. How did the Etruscans get get hold of the Yeah, well, because they really prized Egyptian. I mean, they the Etruscans really prized um, Greek art and things like that. So they bought it. Yeah, and this is this has some has a story behind it too. This um this treasure has its fair share of trials. Uh, during World War II, it was shattered into hundreds of, of pieces in a bombing raid, and then it was painstakingly restored only to be deliberately smashed again in 1981 by a museum guard. And it had to be meticulously put back together and is now held in the Museum of Archaeology in Florence, Italy. Some of the fragments are still missing. So yeah, that's the Francois vase. Pretty cool. I I would like to see that, I think. Yes. Let's go to Florence. Put that on the Fan of History tour. Yeah. For a mere $150,000, we'll take you on a tour all over the world, (laughs) over the ancient world. That's the vase. Yep. We got anything else? We have this uh, sculpture, the Cora. You know about that? It's a famous statue from a cemetery at Caratea near Athens, which is made at this time. And it's uh, it's a modern term to uh, freestanding ancient Greek sculptures depicting female figures who are always young. Yeah. So if it's it's if it is a Kuroi, then it's a boy. Aha, uh-huh, right. But the core is a girl. And this is one of the famous ones called the Berlin Core. Yes. Probably because the Germans found it <laughs> or took exactly. it. They took it. <laughs> and yeah. when, you, when you find these things, that, when you see them now, they're like, you know, statues where they're just solid monochromatic. But in the day, they were painted and they were really bright. Uh, you actually went to the Met in New York City. And I think that displays over now. They had a they had a show on colored different things, and they had they had one of these. They weren't real though; they were like replicas. But they replicated them with exact colors where they would be, and they were very colorful. Like you see these, you know, classic Greek and Roman things where they're you know just marble and white and stuff. But in the when they were displayed, they were very colorful. Yeah, and then we have the death of Sappho. Sappho. Yeah. Oh, the, the original lesbian. Correct, because she was from Lesbos. Yes. And we talked a lot about her in episode 156 in the 590s, the diary episode. <laughs> 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 oh, poor Sappho. But she's gone. The only thing that remains is her poetry. All that left is her poetry. And that's where we leave Greece. Not much with a cliffhanger, but we are going to have some stuff going on in Athens. And there is some stuff going on in the Mediterranean, too. Do you know anything about Carthage from this time? It's just pretty much that everything is just uh, nothing like no major events, as far as I know. 
it's pretty much more of the same from Cartage, but it's becoming more and more powerful. Yes. And we have very few details from this time. Yeah, pretty much because you need the Greeks to be involved in it because the Romans destroyed all of Carthage's records. <laughs> yes. Oh, well. So we'll, uh, we'll go to our main character next time. Good old Nebuchadnezzar II. Yes. And actually, that's a good segue because in our next episode, there is something important that happens to Carthage. Not directly. I'll leave it at that. We'll talk about it next time. Uh, it will be important f- yeah. for Carthage, but it doesn't happen to Correct. Carthage. But it happens to Shh. indirectly to Carthage. Yeah, we'll leave it. We'll leave that. You'll have to hear it next time. All right. So check our Facebook page out, right? Uh, please do. Also check out our Patreon, patreon.com, search for Fan of History. That's how we survive. So if you like this, please please contribute whatever you feel we're worth. Yeah, or even a little more than you feel, just to be generous. <laughs> and thank you to all who has contributed. You're actually very good at that. So as I said at the beginning, I run nine podcasts, soon to be ten. And this is the, top, the second one in... If you like, take the ratio between listeners and patrons. So we have more patrons per listener than uh, all of my other podcasts except ah, one. All right, let's beat that other one, whatever it is, guys. Come on. Uh, I, that will be hard. Ah. It has uh, a, a lot of patrons. It's you have to be very fanatic to listen to okay. that podcast. It's about the uh, works of Norwegian Swedish author Margit Sandemo. Sounds like it. Yes, and it's. Uh, <laughs> In order to listen to our last episode, you have to read 64 novels. Dan, you're amazing. Your brain. I can't. People say to me, boy, you're smart. I'm like, you have no idea the guy I know. <laughs> there is not much intelligence involved in those works, but they are very interesting. <laughs> All right. If you say so. And we did an interview with the author before she died in 2018. Oh, nice. And we are currently doing a series of 20 books. And she sort of uh, said... Uh, I tried to write science fiction, but it turned out I wasn't very good at it. So she hated the series we are covering now, and it's uh, amazing fun. Oh, all right. Well, she's not around because to listen. It's, no, it's like somebody who tries to write science fiction. is a super good writer, but she only wrote historic novels. So she didn't have any history to lean on. And so it was like her visions of the future. Ah. And it's, it's very interesting. It involves... It sounds like it. Well, I would love to be able to read it, but I don't know Swedish. Uh, her greatest works are actually translated into English, The Legend of the Ice People. What's her name? I'm writing this down. Margit Sandemo. Margit Sandemo. All right, everybody. We'll look that up. I'll put a link on her Facebook page, too. I hope there will be a TV series uh, at wow. some point in the near future on those books, The Legend of the Ice People. Legend of the Ice People. All right, I'm going to look that up. I, we have one other... Pa- we, I just want to mention the last thing. We have, I want to shout out a Patreon who's not an official Patreon. He's a friend of mine. His name is Tim Holmes, and he has a hard time figuring out how to use the Patreon. So every time I see him out, he buys me a beer. So I'm, I'm, comp, I'm what's the word I'm looking for? He's a, I'm skimming, Dan. I'm skimming. I'm, I'm getting paid directly. <laughs> so you owe me like a several half Yeah, beers. something like that. <laughs> so uh, you're, you're worth Thank you. Beers. And with inflation, you know, this is getting to be more than a dollar an episode here. You know, beers is a lot more than a dollar now. So Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So anyway, we'll end with that, right? Yes. All right. Thanks, everyone. On to Nebuchadnezzar. Off to Nebuchadnezzar. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks. And see you next time.